Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 9, Episode 8. This week, I had, I have to say, probably my favorite guest to date, uh, Patrick Hines from the True Crime Obsessed podcast. Uh, He was on to talk about the Menendez Brothers case. Really, really enjoyed getting to know Patrick and also really enjoyed our discussion about the case. Uh, And I also enjoyed, and, and hopefully it was interesting to all of you guys, where the conversation sort of went into talking about um, our prison system and, and our criminal justice system a little bit outside of the Menendez brothers case. I uh, hope you guys all liked it. You guys sent in a bunch of questions, got Mike and Zach in the studio. Fair warning. We're all mostly me very tired today. So hopefully my brain is going to work. Uh, we, we record these on Wednesday mornings. And so last night was election night. Uh, hopefully we all know who the president is right now, but as of this moment, when we're recording this, I'm working on about three hours of sleep, trying to stay up all night for the results. And as of right now, we still have no idea what's going on. Everything's too close to call. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, by the time the listeners hear this on Friday, we still will not know. You think? I think so. All right. You heard it here first. That's Zach Weaver. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Whose is the tea? Oh, that's for me, thanks. And the fish fingers. Me, please. Over here, you two. Lift. Dobby's restaurants have great deals on lots of tasty products. That's it. Mind your backs, please. Uh, Making them feel even greater. Left a bit careful of that. So kids' meals feel larger than dining tables. Set it down gently, gently. Whoa! Find great value every day in store, like kids eat free. After all, spring's a big deal at Dobby's Garden Centres. Anything else? Have you got a bigger fork? All right. Before we get into some of these questions, I think we need to lay a little groundwork uh, because just just from some discussions that we had out in the office before we stepped into the studio. I think Zach, you should you should give the basis of where you're coming from on this case before we get into these questions. So I know that these are unpopular opinions that I have. Mm-hmm. That a lot of the listeners are probably not going to be thrilled with what I have to say today. Right. One thing I will point out is that I'm usually the one with the unpopular opinions, at least on the Bob and Weave podcast. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty excited about this. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I I understand full well coming into this that uh, that my opinions are probably unpopular and some of the listeners are going to be unhappy with me. 
but that's what this is about. We're we're going to open a discussion, and I think you have to have the other side of the discussion sometimes. So, what is your 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 the basics of your opinion? The basics of my opinion are: I believe they're where they should be. I believe the brothers are sociopaths, and and are one hundred percent where they should be. Okay. When it comes to because the only real question there, there's no question they murdered their parents. Mm-hmm. The only real question there comes in is: was it justified? Was there abuse? Now, is your opinion based on? Do you not believe the abuse occurred, or do you think that it that whether or not the abuse occurred, they just they are who they are and they murdered them anyway? So I do believe the abuse occurred or okay. some form of abuse. I don't know to what extent. That's mm-hmm. that you know that's the hard part. You never know what to believe, and I'm not I'm not a denier. Like I'm not going to say that their claims are not true. Right. I, I hate to be that person, but you you just never know. So, but I'm saying with those claims in place. I still feel that the people that they are are just they're sociopaths. I mean, they their pre-offense behavior, their post-offense behavior, it just leads me down a different road than I think a lot of people feel towards them. Right, and I don't think you're alone. By the way, I think maybe with our audience, I think that it may it, it, you're probably right. It's probably not the most popular opinion, but there's certainly people that the reason the case is an interesting case to talk about is because there's both sides to mm-hmm. this. Talk a little bit about that. Why what, what pre-offense, post-offense behaviors? lead you to believe that they're just sociopathic murderers? Well, I I will start by saying this, and this is something I never probably thought I would say on a podcast that goes out to this many people. Before anybody jumps down my throat that I don't know anything about sexual abuse, I I do. I do. I know more than you guys will ever want to know. So please do not jump down my throat by saying this. And and I'm not saying you guys. I'm talking to the listeners. I've dealt with sexual abuse. This is not something that I'm just out of the blue. I'm not you know, you guys jumped on our throats that we're, we're privileged white guys that don't know what we're saying. You know, I, I'm, I'm going on a limb and saying that I, I do know more than people realize. I've dealt with this myself, okay? Mm-hmm. Not to the extent of these brothers, but I've dealt with this myself. So I'm, I'm not coming from a place of nowhere. So it's just not, it, it certainly wouldn't be fair to say that you're like coming from a place of privilege as someone who's never dealt with any of this stuff. Correct. So moving forward with saying that, I understand that abuse can happen at any point in time. And and when you have an abusive person in your life, they can control you at any point in your Mm -hmm. life. But this is where it starts to get hard for me is the way they try to portray these, these boys, they call them boys. They call them boys. Mm -hmm. You know, they try to manipulate you to make them feel younger. Right. You know, that they're 21 and 19. You know, that that's a big thing for me. If this happened I can't say if this happened earlier in life, but if, you know, I mean, that, that's where the age starts to get to me. They could get away. They, they're starting to understand things. They could reach out legally. They could try to move to college. There's a ways to get around this without murdering. Well, well, you know, that was part of it was. Yeah. Well, he said that if he went to college, he'd have to come back weekly. Right. That he was going to college. And I think that's really part of the trigger for it, right? Is he's going to college, has to live in the dorms as part of the, the rules mm-hmm. for that school. It was the same as the, I went to the University of Colorado. That was the same rule we had there. Freshman mm-hmm. had to live on campus. And then his dad told him he still had to be home. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, going out and getting the murder weapons, I mean, it's premeditated. Mm-hmm. You're, right. you're, you're acknowledging you're doing this. You know, and I'm, by, by any means, when I'm saying these things, I'm not saying that this wasn't led on because of the abuse. Mm-hmm. But it's clearly, I mean, they, they have fought through this. They have premeditatedly went and done this. Right. You went out, you, you bought these shotguns. You had to figure out what you wanted to do. You went into that house. You murdered your your father and mother. Mm. At one point, you had to reload because of the amount of shot. You know, what I mean, the shots that were taken. Right. There's so much there that I think is more than just 
I will say that as far as that stuff is concerned, and I'll I'll, I'll give kind of my side of this after you finish going through your post defense, but I, I think that the way the crime went down, a self defense mm-hmm. defense is is it, it, it doesn't doesn't hold water with me. You know, self defense mean you know you're, you're it's it's you or them, and you know you you're only 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 killing someone to protect your own life. Like when you've already incapacitated them with multiple shotgun wounds and you reload to shoot them more, mm-hmm. you know, that's no longer self-defense. I'll, I'll agree with that. Part of the, you know, part of the autopsy results, they believe that they held the shotgun directly to their mother's face when they shot her. Mm-hmm. It's, it's too, it's a lot for me to handle. It, right. It really is. I do understand what they're saying about the, the, the abuse led to this. Mm-hmm. It just, I have a hard time reconciling it. I, I feel like there was other avenues to look through before you get to this point in your life. Sure. So that was a big thing. The post-offense behavior is what really kind of triggers it for me, the, that they went out and they tried to figure out how to hide this. You know I mean? They, uh-huh. The story, the narrative is that they sat there waiting for someone to come. Right. Now, do we know that for sure? We don't know. We don't, we, we, we don't really We don't definitely know. don't know that for sure. But also, I can't, based on the way the crime went down, mm-hmm. where it went down, I cannot reconcile that with them not thinking they were going to get caught you know what i mean they didn't there were ways they could have killed their parents mm-hmm. so that it wouldn't be obvious that they did it mm-hmm. when they walk in when they go buy shotguns walk in shoot them multiple times with shotguns in the house in beverly hills i i have to believe that you know whether or not they sat there and waited or not mm-hmm. i don't know but i have to believe that they assumed i'm going to kill them and i'm going to get caught but but during the crime they shot them in the kneecaps to to make it look like a mafia hit, which means they thought about it. Right. They thought about a way to get away with this before. Maybe. But who says they shot him to make it look like a mafia hit? Maybe they shot him in the kneecaps because they couldn't run. I don't know. That's a tough one for me because that was one of the theories that they had, they put out was it was a mafia hit. Right. Because of the way they were shot. You mm-hmm. know, the mother ran. There was blood on the bottom of her shoes. Right. So, I mean, they, they she was trying to get away from them. Mm-hmm. So, post that, you know, they... They decide to sit there. No one comes. Then they decide to have a, try to get an alibi. So they go to the movie theater to try to get movie tickets. Right. They go see Batman. Try to go see Batman. It's the biggest film in the world at the moment. Right. Can't get in. Mm-hmm. So they can't get tickets. I, I've heard a story that they got tickets to a different movie, but I don't, I don't know fully. Mm-hmm. Well, they're definitely trying to but they're create trying an alibi. To create an alibi. They hide the guns. Mm-hmm. They, they get rid of the guns. They go back, call the police. They have this huge fabricated story. Lyle's making this big show of emotion to, mm-hmm. to say that someone came in and shot them all this stuff and then immediately i mean within days start spending copious amounts of money right to make them look better mm-hmm. you know it's on it's on story that they bought what do you Rolex. mean to make them look better they bought rolexes to make sure they look good at the funeral oh yeah you know things like that that just i don't they that really set me off strange the amount of money they spent i know in the episode patrick said they spent three hundred thousand dollars in everything I've ever seen, it says they spent upwards of seven hundred thousand dollars. So I don't know where the discrepancy comes in there. Yeah, I've seen different different numbers. I, I think what Patrick was saying was that according to Eric or Lyle, whichever one mm-hmm. was on one of the documentaries, he yeah. claimed that you know his brother spent this and he only spent this. Mm-hmm. But then the receipts kind of show that that's not true. There was more spent, you know, and and you know they bought they bought a restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, they paid for a. Tennis coach, they paid for all kinds of stuff. And, and that's, I, I thought the interview was really good. I like what Patrick had to say. Mm-hmm. However, I did say this to you that, you know, their podcast is about a documentary. They watch a right. documentary and discuss that documentary. Mm-hmm. And they, they chose a documentary that was 
Eric telling all. So right. it's, it's him telling his side of the story, right. which of course is going to be different than other documentaries. Sure. I'm not saying one is more true than the other. Right. But you're, you know, if you watch a pro Eric documentary, you're going to have a different opinion than, than one that's like totally against them. Sure. And, and, you know, there's, Patrick has never claimed to be, uh, you know, a, a crime analyst mm-hmm. by any means. You know, he's a Broadway musical guy, but bartender and podcaster, you know, so that, you know, he's just kind of waiting in his opinion. I just want to make it that he's never clear. He's never claimed to be, you know, Jim Clemente mm-hmm. on it. With that being said, I, I tend to uh, agree with a lot of things he said. Is there, I want to let you finish though, your thoughts on, or is that it on the, uh, the spending spree and the way they went about spending things mm-hmm. was, was huge for me, you know, and they, he paid, I, I believe it was Eric paid for a year's worth of tennis lessons. Right. You know, think that just, I don't know, there was a lot of things going on there that I just felt like it wasn't to get away from their parents as much as they led on to believe. So what do you think the motivation was? That See, that's where it becomes tough because I do, I do, as I've said multiple times already, like I think that the abuse kind of led to the murder, mm-hmm. but I do think there was some greed there. Right. You know, I think it was, it, it's a combination of all of it. Sure. And, and what I, by saying this, I'm not saying that like, I, I think that they, that there was no abuse and they did it and they d- deserve to be where they're at. But I'm like, if you break down what I feel is the evidence that it, that was first degree murder. Right. Yeah. I, I, and honestly, I can't say it's not first degree murder, regardless of what I feel about their motivations. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like I said, you, I, I, I don't agree. Anyway, like if you say it's self-defense in a, in a, broader more 2020 type of look at it you could say yeah it was self-defense because mm-hmm. but but from a legal perspective it's not self-defense is when your life is in, in immediate danger and you counterattack to, to help yourself it definitely wasn't that mm-hmm. i i look at the behaviors very differently i think for first of all the the age thing mm-hmm. you know people say well they're adults they're trying to make them look like kids and you know these guys these are adults that are capable of you know all these all these things so they're 19 to 21. I have a 19-year-old that turns 20 on Sunday, two mm-hmm. days from now. And he is not an adult. You know what I mean? He is legally speaking an adult. And I'm not saying anything bad about him. He would, agree, he would tell you the same thing. Mm-hmm. He's still not in a place where he's ready to function as, a, as an independent adult in society. Mm-hmm. He still needs his parents. He still, need, he still needs us to, to help get him through things and to sort things out and figure things out. So I don't see like a 21-year-old is like, well, he's adult. He could have done this and that. But see, I think that's all case to case, which is what's hard. Right. That's case to case bias because I started a career. I had a career at 20. Right. I had bought a house at 22. I hadn't lived at home since I was 18. Yeah. I, I, I know. And I'm not saying that just because I did that, everybody needs to do that. Yeah. But I'm saying like it's case to case. Your son is completely different than I am. Sure. Which is, could be completely different than Eric and Lyle. Which is completely different than Mike. And very different from me, I'll, I'll point out, too. Mm-hmm. I moved out away to college at 18 years old. I never lived with, well, I lived with my parents while I was waiting to close on a house. But I ended up getting married by 20 and starting my own business before I, when I was 21. I bought my first house when I was 21. Mm-hmm. You know, so at 21 years old, I was running my own business. I had my own house. I was married. You know, so that, but that was you know, my course in life. But then... Yeah, I, I think with, but I've also see the other side of it with my stepson that it was like, he's just, he's just not there yet. Mm-hmm. Different person wired a little bit differently. And I think some of that too comes in. I think that you and I had, we never really talked about it, but I think you and I have similar backgrounds when it comes to, well, I'll just say this. I grew up at a time where my parents really struggled financially. Mm-hmm. 
So my dad lost his job. The company he worked for went out of business when I was like in eighth grade and struggled all through high school. So through high school, I, I lived, my parents were at an awesome love, and I'm thankful that I went through this, but I lived with broke parents. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just struggling to keep food on the table and keep the bills paid. So I, like, if I wanted to have the nice new clothes that other kids were wearing at school, I had to work. I mean, I was swinging a hammer at 13 years old working. Mm-hmm. And, you know, was, and I worked all day and I had to save my own money. I bought my own car. I bought, you know, all, the, all these things that I had to do. And I think that's part of what shaped me into that. As of now, jump to, you know, my stepson is a very different situation. By no means are we wealthy, but he doesn't have that. He's grown up with, as, as all of our kids have, with pretty much everything they, certainly everything they need. And a lot of what they want, and you know, we we've 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 pushed him, and you know, my my son is now about to turn sixteen, and he's getting into the workforce. He actually works for us, editing the videos for the Patreon, and so we're teaching them to do those things. But also, they didn't have that. The what I'm getting at is they they didn't have the necessity at a very young age to get to an adult. I don't know how that relates to to your situation. No, it's very similar. And it makes sense what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually at some point in everyone's life, it'll get to that point. Right. Just for you, it was earlier. Right. Because, you know, I was, I, I was, I, I, I had to, by necessity, learn those skills. Well, and so what I'm getting at is you got, you know, Eric and Lyle Menendez mm-hmm. are growing up in an extremely wealthy family, you know, multimillionaires. I think they said their net worth was somewhere around $14 million. Mm-hmm. That they lived with, so and they had every, they had the, all the finer things. They had all the nicest things in life. They never, you know, they they hadn't had to go go out and get a job at the grocery store so they could buy clothes. You know, they haven't had some of those experiences that we had. Mm-hmm. So, I, and I think that definitely will stunt someone when in their maturity level. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus hey guys it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary VTW, void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus that's all you know it's anecdotal for sure but that's you know for me looking at it, it's like i i don't i see i see those kids as being probably very immature okay by our standards but that's really really neither here nor there the abuse that they went through i i 100 believe that they went through some horrible abuse mm-hmm. and you know and again we can't know but there's there's enough corroborating witnesses and evidence to suggest that they absolutely went through that abuse abuse i think the abuse the the murders were a result of the abuse but not not in self-defense i think that they had it almost like gotten to a breaking point where they had gone through this for for so long it's definitely going to do psychological and emotional damage. There's, there's no getting around that. 
it's going to shape who they are. You know, what you're seeing is, is being, you know, sociopath. See, it's like there's someone who's just dealt with so much trauma that they, they've gotten to a point where they, they just, they've got some issues. Mm-hmm. And I think that the trigger was when, when I think it was Eric, I always get the two mixed up, but was going to go to school. Eric was the younger one. Yeah. yeah he was going to go to school and then he found out he still had to stay and, and couldn't get away from the abuse that it wasn't a snap, like lost his temper. And that's, and that's where this thing gets real complex because it was a snapped in the sense where they're like, the only way out of this is we're going to kill him. And so they plot and plan a way to kill them. And that's why it gets very kind of, that's why. I, I, but that's what I'm trying to say too, is, is I am very empathetic to these boys. Uh-huh. I understand their situations. I don't want anybody to think that I'm, that I don't understand their situation or where this came from. Mm-hmm. But my opinion is based on the, the legal point of view of this case. Right. My opinion is not based on, I mean, that's, the legal point of view of this case is what I see, you know, is their, their, pre, their pre-offense, their post-offense. That's what I see. That's right. where I'm coming up with this. I mean, it, sure. that's where I lead to this. I'm not by any means saying that these boys didn't have some horrific things happen to them. And, right. and I don't feel empathetic towards them. Yeah. I, I, I just think that it led to the, you know, we say that, you know, because of their age and their position, they were at a place where they could get out, right? They could. They could make a move. I don't think they were capable. They they had no money mm-hmm. without their parents. I don't think they were capable. Probably matured you know, as far as maturity and uh, I guess maturity. They were they were not capable of probably living on their on their own yet. They just didn't know how to do that. And you know, the, the, a lot of people will say they could go to the police, but that's like, like this is not uncommon at mm-hmm. all. We talked about it with the Kansas City Butcher case. You know, with the with the the victims, the victims in that case, we see it all the time with um, sexual abuse victims, uh, specifically women, but also there's a big portion of the men are also very unreported, mm-hmm. and it's and it's a different, it's a whole nother set of emotional and psychological circumstances because now, like for a a a straight man mm-hmm. to report someone for doing this. Or what his parents were allegedly, his dad was allegedly doing to him, is also now letting it made, be made public that he's been assaulted sexually, that he's had sexual relations mm-hmm. forced, you know, not not anything that was consensual with a man, and that's and that's how that's a difficult. It, it's something I don't know, and I will say I'm not in your circumstance. I have never well and, and dealt I, with these issues, and and I understand that because anything that I went through was never reported, right. Yeah, you know, there's many people that don't know until I just said what I said. Right, I had no idea. Yeah, there's Nobody a lot of people that don't know. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm so, and I'm going to go off on a tangent here for a minute. Okay, but this I'm so upset with people continually jumping down our throats saying that we don't know what we're talking about because we're white men in the Midwest mm-hmm. that we're privileged white men in the Midwest. So I can't talk about being a sexual abuse survivor because I don't know anything about it, or I can't talk about racism because I don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. We don't know the other side of that book. You know what I mean? Like, right. I cannot judge you for what you've, you know, been through. I don't know what you've been through. Right. I cannot judge Mike for what he's been through. I don't know what he's been through. You cannot judge me for what I've been through because you don't know what I've been through. Right. And that's a huge thing. We need to stop doing that. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And there's some of the stuff you're talking about, like the discrimination, r- racism. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know. You know, we talk about it on Bob and Wee, but I don't know if a lot of our listeners know that you came from, you come from a biracial family. Yeah. Yeah, and that and you did suffer through and, and witness and live through a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But but you know, kind of get, getting back on, on on topic with this, I just where I'm coming from is I think that they were at a place 
mentally. I think they did the wrong thing. They made the wrong decision by deciding murder was the answer. Mm-hmm. But I can, I guess just when I'm tracking it, I can track how they got there. I can track how they got there in a way that's not a sociopath murderer. You know what I mean? That, that they're, they're not willing to report it. Now they've been, they're completely controlled because there, there's a control that's in place there more so than in any, than in, than other child parent relationships. Uh, and that control is money. You know, they have this lifestyle that they've been lived in their bubble of their lifestyle of how they live is 100% controlled by their parents' money. You know, so. But see, that's where I come in with the sociopath side. The reason I'm saying they're sociopath isn't because of the murder. It's right. because it's because of the spending spree afterwards. That is huge to me. Right. And see that that's spending copious amounts of money like that. You know, you would feel like if you if you did this and wanted to do through this, you want your life to now move on. And see the way that I see this case and the way you know my amateur analysis of what's going on in their minds, that behavior after the murders, that post defense behavior is not only uh, understandable, but it's almost expected. From from my point of view, because if if I'm looking at these 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 guys decide to kill their parents, mm-hmm. they they want to put an end to the abuse. They've had enough. They've snapped. Like I said before, I don't think they thought they weren't going to get caught. Mm-hmm. It's just a dumb way to kill somebody if you're trying not to get caught. But if you think you're not going to get caught, why are you going to go invest in a business afterwards? Afterwards, right? Well, that's what I'm talking. I'm, I'm talking about like leading up to it. Okay, they're thinking I'm going to kill them and we're going to get caught, and mm-hmm. that's going to be that. But then they don't get caught, and then I can. I can I can understand I I can I can I can piece together a scenario where it makes sense to me that the feeling of relief and joy that they would have if these sexual abuse allegations and there was more to it that there was mental abuse and there was you know there was that controlling that that they've just lived on this for so long and then all of a sudden it's like we did get away with it and now we have the money you know, I, I, I can see, I can 100% see why someone in that scenario would be like, well, now we're free. Now we're free and we have the money. We can live our lives doing whatever we want and we have all this money to do it with. Is that the right way to think? Probably not. But I can totally see why someone in that scenario, if we, if we look at everything leading up to the murder, if they, you know, if, if it was just, if it wasn't like we're just sociopathic murderers, but we're murdering them because of what they've done and we feel this is our only way out. If that's like the, mo- the, the the about as pure as you can get, and you can't get super pure, right? But mm-hmm. as pure, pure as you can get for motives for doing this, if if you if you if you believe in that camp, I can still see post offense them saying once they're not caught, we have all this money, we're gonna live it up now. Because also they again, I doubt they've ever been taught to be conservative financially, to be careful with their money. They've never been probably taught how to manage money, and so they're just you know it's it's almost like if you give your 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 nine year old here's a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. You know he doesn't know how to do with that hundred dollars. You're gonna I I can speak to my nine year old. It's gonna be like of course today's age. I'm going on Amazon and I want this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Dad, order me this stuff, right? You know, and I so I see that as being reasonable that they would do that afterwards. So with that being said, so now you have through what. 25 minutes of our uh, our basis of the uh, where we're at coming at on the case. And so we're going to have to zip through some of these questions, Mike. What do you got for us? Our first question comes from Lisa. I know you said the brothers spent quite a bit of money on things right after their parents were killed. Was this inheritance money or did they simply have access to cash, etc.? And once they were arrested and or convicted, did they still receive any inheritance? 
Did that money go to other family members, go into probate? I remember the prosecution really hammering home the fact that this was a murder based on greed, so I'm just wondering if that really rings true. So as far as how they got a hold, the money they had right up front, uh, my understanding was it was money that they was it was like credit cards, mm-hmm. right? And they, Zach, you've watched had, a bunch of these documentaries. Right? Yeah, it was money they had access to more yeah. than anything because inheritance doesn't come through that quickly, right? I don't people don't quite realize that like tomorrow you're not going to get a bunch of money, right? It takes you time. know, and the same thing with life insurance. Life insurance takes a while to kick in, you right? Know? They so the money that they spent was a lot of stuff they had access to. Yeah. Now I know down the road they did get access to a portion of the life insurance that they had. The, the way the life insurance paid out, it paid out a portion quickly, uh huh, and then held back the other part. But it was still a couple of weeks before they got that portion of the money. Right. And it amounted to the total estate was like $14 million. Mm-hmm. But what I was reading about it was by the time they got to prison, there was nothing left. And it wasn't just them like spending spree. It was like, you know, there was estate taxes that amounted for like 4 million of it. And they had to pay off the mortgages for all the houses they had. And that wiped out a bunch of it. And then they had to pay, there was a bunch of other stuff in there, but part of it was paying for the attorneys and the defense for everything. So Basically, from what I read, by the time they did get all the money mm-hmm. before they were convicted, but by the time they got convicted, the money was all gone. Now, I don't know what you so they paid off the mortgages for all these houses, or I don't know how many houses there were, but for the real estate and, mm-hmm. and holdings, which was millions of dollars, I don't know what happened to all that afterwards. I assume that there had to have been some kind of other next to kin somewhere that got that. Chantel says, why wasn't the evidence from the first trial regarding allegations of abuse and all those powerful witnesses allowed in the second trial? I think it would have changed the sentence of both brothers. It, from I, I tried to do a little bit of research on this. It's not super clear without getting into actual like like digging up and you know, you know find case law and, and looking at actual court documents. But essentially, the, it had to do with rules of evidence in California that the, the judge looked at you know, in, 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 in pre-trial hearings. Said there was there was there were because they they had, in the first trial they had experts come in, you know that spoke to some of the things that I was just talking about right. So it spoke spoke to uh, the mental state caused by abuse. And where it got tricky was there was a state law on the books in California at that time for sexually abused or abused and battered women, which allowed for in a case where a woman say say kills her spouse and she was in an abusive relationship. That there was actually rules of evidence on the books that said that because she was in a, a battered and abuser woman, they were allowed to bring in that type of evidence to speak to the mental state that someone would be in if had they gone through that abuse. But it literally only covered battered and abused women. And so in the first trial, the the de- defense was able to convince the judge that the same case law should apply to these abused young men. In the second trial, the judge ruled that you cannot apply that standard to be, to the Menendez brothers because they were not abused and battered women since they were they were young men. It was a different situation, so they wouldn't allow that evidence in. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Maria says, I'm curious to know what you think would have happened had the brothers not killed their parents. Do you think the abuse would ever have stopped? I think they felt that this was the only sure way to stop it. I keep finding myself comparing Gypsy Rose Blanchard and the Menendez brothers. I see so many people that are empathetic towards Gypsy Rose but seem to be condemning towards the brothers. Whilst I know the abuse was different, it still impacted their lives greatly in a negative way. So this is somewhere, Zach, where you and I will, will see eye to eye a little bit. As far as the what they what would happen if they hadn't killed him. So we talked about, you know, there there's there's a reluctance to report situations like this. As you said, they are adults. They could get away. Mm-hmm. They could literally just leave. But here's where I think that some of that greed plays in. I don't necessarily think it plays in like, oh, I'm gonna kill them because I want the money. I don't think that I don't think that's why they killed them. But I think that any thought they had of just leaving. Going and starting to go get a job somewhere, start their own life. I think that that was greatly affected by the fact that they knew they could not maintain the lifestyle they were used to if they left their parents. Because there was there was a hundred percent these are these are legal adults. Mm-hmm. There was one hundred percent nothing stopping them from just going off and leaving their parents behind and starting a new life. But I don't think that they were willing to try to do that without. The financial support is like they weren't willing to. I, I don't think they were willing to give up the money in order to do that. And it's kind of splitting hairs. It's different to me, but I definitely think that 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 played into why it felt like the only the only reasonable solution for them in their minds mm-hmm. was murder because they they didn't want to go start over without the money. Now, again, I also think there's there's more to that. That's that's a more complex issue because I think that that money was used as a control device. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I'm right with you with what you're saying. And, and I think that the other thing about that is they are two adult educated men. I mean, they're, they're educated. They went mm-hmm. to school. They, they you know, I mean, there's things about this where like Gypsy Rose was, was held at home. Right. She was medicated. You know, what I mean, there was a lot of things going to that. And I think there was more to that. Like she there was a lot more psychological to that. Like. The mother had almost convinced her that this was true as right. well. Yeah, for sure. So I think that was a, a big holdup to her not trying to get away. Right. Because she believed she couldn't. Right. Megan says, I know mitigating factors are allowed when contemplating a death sentence, but what about life sentences? Should the courts come up with a range for mitigating factors to help jurors with sentencing? For example, if abuse is proven, a life sentence automatically comes with possible parole, or say if abuse is proven, the jury can consider knocking five to ten years off of the sentence. Curious as to your thoughts if maybe written guidelines might be helpful to jurors who are unsure of where they stand on sentencing. I mean, yeah, I think it's a good idea. I also think it's a bad idea. At the same time, it's complex. It's, it's so hard to legislate for all scenarios. And when you make a law like that, that's how it works. And people people get confused about that in a lot of situations where, you know, they'll say something like the death penalty. Well, it should be the death penalty should be on the table if you're one if you're 100 percent certain of someone's guilt. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, then where's that standard? You know, there, there's certainly times where it can seem that it's a open and shut 100 percent clear cut case and then find out later through DNA testing that the case wasn't wrong. You know, you, it, it's it's hard to legislate that. But, yeah, that kind of leads me into. Part of you know the, the end of the discussion, the sentencing of the boys, and Mike. I know you. We're running long, and I know you've got a question in there about the appeals process and what can be done about the sentence. Uh, so I'll just cover that now because we need to button this up here shortly. But uh, 
I, 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 I don't think there's any way to change her sentence short of a, you know, clemency from a governor mm-hmm. at this point. Um, because once a sentence is set, the only way to undo it is to prove that there was, there was a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, and over the last 30 years, there's been many appeals and there wasn't a mistake, meaning they didn't get a fair trial. There was something done incorrectly. And that just isn't the case here. So they're, they're going to be stuck with that. But I think that, it, I think that the conversation Patrick and I had about the sentencing, what I enjoyed about that part of the conversation, I hope that, that what some of you took away from it is the fact that if we go outside the Menendez case, but we start looking at what is the purpose for our prisons. Mm-hmm. Now, in our case, Zach and I, I don't think you and I agree on this. Well, I don't, I don't know because I don't, I do not agree with life without parole. Ever. Ever. Okay. I, I don't think that should be a thing. Okay. So I think we're going to be closer on the same page than you realize. Okay. That's good. Because that, that was, for me, I'm looking at, okay, what is, what, what is the purpose of prison? Why are we putting him there? Mm-hmm. Certainly it's supposed to be punitive to an extent. I think our legal system has, has gone way too far that way. And it's supposed to be for rehabilitation, but that's where it's not. So, and to protect the citizens, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you put the, you put dangerous people away so they can't hurt other people. I don't think that Lyle and Eric Menendez, or a threat to society. I don't think they were ever, and it's just my opinion, but I don't think they were ever a threat to society. Mm-hmm. They were certainly a threat to their abusive parents. You know, and, and we can talk whether or not that was justified or not. Either way, they were certainly a threat to them. But I don't think that they were these sociopaths who were going to go out and, you know, find the next victim and go kill somebody else. I think it was a very specifically motivated to do it, whether it was greed or whether it was due to the emotional abuse or a combination of the two, mm-hmm. I think their their rage was pointed at specifically their parents, and I don't think they would probably ever do that to anybody else. And so then that that opens the dialogue to, well, then should they be in prison for the rest of their lives, or is 30 years long enough? Mm-hmm. Should they walk free now you know, and, and get a second chance at life? And what do you think? No, I, I, I'm with you, honestly. Like, I believe that they, they should be in prison, that they should have gone to prison. Right. But I also believe that they have the chance for rehabilitation and should have the chance for parole to get back out. Because like mm-hmm. you said, I do believe that you're right, that they don't have, I don't believe they're going to go out and hurt anybody else. Right. But at the same point. But how does, how does, how does that connect with you with the idea that they killed them because they're sociopaths? Well, I guess I, because I believe the murder was, was a lot more greed based. Okay. So, so maybe, so, so still. Aimed at their parents. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, it was still aimed at their parents. And I believe they should be there for killing their parents. Right. They killed their parents. Right. I mean, it was premeditated. They did it. Mm-hmm. Regardless of the backstory. What, you know what I mean? Like, But you'd be open. If you're king of the world and you can decide what it, which by the way, Patrick didn't answer that question the way I was hoping he would. <laughs> king of the world means you can do whatever you want. And he was talking about the legal rules. Yeah. I'm saying, what if there are no legal rules and you're king of the world? Would you, if you, so if you're king of the world, the same question. What would you want to happen now? You can you can literally say whatever, do whatever you want. What do you think should happen with the Menendez brothers here in 2020? I mean, I I do believe that they should be in prison for for punishment purposes. You know what I mean? And I don't mean punishment as like physical punishment, but you know what I mean yeah. to be in there because they did they committed the crime. I'm talking about right now. It's 30 years later. To, today, what should happen today, next? Today, I don't have a problem with them going out for parole. Okay, so I don't know if they would get. I don't know if they would be paroled, but I don't have a problem with them. And the parole board would have, they they have you know part of what they're looking at is you know they of course are you showing remorse for your mm-hmm. crime and do you pose a risk to society have you been rehabilitated and so so you think they should have the opportunity to at least make that case to a parole Absolutely. board I 100% agree with that that we can 100% agree on mm-hmm. 
I do want to touch on right before we wrap this up. There were a couple of a post and a couple of comments on the fan page after where people were upset with Patrick and and me agreeing with him when he said that childhood sexual abuse is no excuse for murder. And so people were upset with that. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, for for very and, and some people weren't. Some people agreed, and then other people said, you know, there were people, and some of them I think had gone through some of these scenarios and said that you don't know what it's like to go through this, and it, it, and I just want I had said this on the fan page. I just also want to make it clear here. When that was said, I, and I'm not going to speak for Patrick. I think I, I think Patrick is, agrees with me as well. But speaking for myself, I, I stand by the statement that childhood sexual abuse is no excuse for murder. When I say that, what I'm not saying is child sexual abuse is no excuse for murder, but there are other excuses for murder. What I'm saying is, for my core beliefs, there is no excuse for murder. So to, to, to further that point, what I mean by that is I am staunchly against capital punishment, the death penalty. I do not believe we should kill someone. I, I, I don't believe in state-sponsored murder. I, that's what I, I think it is. I don't think that murder is ever a solution. So therefore, I don't think that this situation was also, and maybe excuse isn't the right word, I don't think that this situation or any situation constitutes murder. The the, the difference being an actual self-defense scenario like we were talking about, but I don't consider that murder. You know, If someone is coming at you with a gun and you pull a gun and shoot them because they're about to shoot you, that's not murder in my opinion. And so this, when we're talking about you know, the guys that, you know, go out and buy shotguns, make a plan and go kill their parents. In my opinion, that is murder. Justified or not, that is murder. And I don't believe, for me, anything justifies murder. And that's consistent through my belief system throughout. So even even if someone is convicted of a serial killer, I still don't believe in capital punishment. I do not believe that we murder someone back. And so if I, so if, if I believe that way when it comes to Within our prison system, within our court system, I believe the same way within our our our, our civilization outside of the prison walls. So, the, so I just wanted to clear that up. It's not diminishing at all, and I think you guys all got through this conversation where I'm coming from with that. I just wanted to make that point clear that by saying that it's not an excuse for for murder, I'm not in any way diminishing the effect that childhood sexual abuse has on a child, a person, anyone. I'm just saying that I don't ever believe. That we sh- that that murder is the answer. All right, Bob, that's it for this week. Uh, do you want to let the listeners know what we have coming up Sunday? Yeah, really excited about this Sunday's episode. Uh, we are going to be discussing a what's become a very famous mysterious disappearance case: the disappearance of Maura Murray. A lot of you may be familiar with this case; some of you may not be. But I have joining me on Sunday, Tim and Lance from the Missing Maura Murray podcast to talk about her case. So make sure you tune in on Sunday. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. 
produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 per month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. Lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at MurbGaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. And Zach can be found at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. This has been Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice.